Welcome to It's All Political on Fifth and Mission. I'm Joe Garofoli, the Chronicle senior political writer, and today we're talking about California's new United States Senator, LaFonza Butler. Governor Gavin Newsom appointed Butler to serve the remaining 15 months of Senator Dianne Feinstein's term. Feinstein died Friday at the age of 90, and a funeral service will be held for her Thursday in San Francisco. So who is Butler? The 44-year-old Mississippi native will be only the third black woman to serve in the Senate and the first black lesbian to do so. She will also be one of the youngest senators in Washington. She was most recently president of Emily's List, the nation's largest political action committee that's dedicated to electing female Democratic candidates who support abortion rights. Much of Butler's career was spent working in organized labor, and by age 30, she became the president of one of California's largest unions, SEIU Local 2015. She was also appointed to the UC Board of Regents by former Governor Jerry Brown and has been a top advisor to Kamala Harris and Hillary Clinton. But she's never held elective office. And many questions remain about Butler, starting with, is she going to run for the seat in California's March 5th primary? If she does, she will have to take on a crowded field of top candidates who've been raising tens of millions of dollars and campaigning for months, including Congresswoman Barbara Lee of Oakland, Congresswoman Katie Porter of Irvine, and Congressman Adam Schiff of Burbank. And here's an even bigger question. Now that Butler is a senator, which candidate does that help? And who does it hurt? Here to answer these questions are the Chronicle's Washington correspondent, Shira Stein, and Sacramento correspondent, Sophia Bolag. I started our conversation with a question that many Californians were asking when they heard the news. Who is LaFonza Butler? Sophia kicked us off by talking about her career in organized labor. She worked for a very long time as a leader for SEIU in California. She was elected the president of the Long-Term Care Workers Union, the local one based in Los Angeles. And in her work for that organization, she represented a lot of low-wage workers, many of whom are women and people of color. And I spoke with the current president of SEIU 2015 about his work with Alfonso Butler and, you know, what he what he thinks of her as as a leader. And he really said that her time in labor representing a lot of workers who typically did not have a voice at the table in California has really shaped who she is as a leader. She was arguably the most important labor voice in the fight in 2016 for a $15 minimum wage. She really put pressure on then-Governor Jerry Brown to sign the California's minimum wage law, which gave California the highest minimum wage in the country. She has drawn some criticism because after leaving SEIU, she did do some work for Airbnb, and she also advised rideshare companies as they were fighting against uh, California's AB5, which is a landmark labor law that really affected gig economy companies. So she's received some criticism for that, but her long tenure at SEIU is really, I think, what a, a lot of people point to when they talk about her vast political experience, because it's an example of her sort of starting in a, a grassroots type 
organization and really wielding not just statewide, but also national influence in that role. Uh, Shira, tell us a little bit more about LaFonza Butler's connection to uh, Vice President uh, Kamala Harris, who, of course, grew up in uh, California politics. Yeah, Butler is actually a longtime ally of Harris. Um, Back in 2010, when Harris was running for California Attorney General, Butler was part of the group that helped negotiate a a three-way endorsement in by SEIU in the campaign. That was really important. Uh, Harris has previously said, quote, LaFonza stuck with me from the beginning through the end and that there were a lot of naysayers who didn't think she could get elected. When Harris ran for president in 2019, Butler was a senior strategist and uh, another outlet actually reported that Harris intended to name her as her campaign manager um, to replace someone else, but ended her campaign before doing so. And more recently, Harris has been a very vocal outside supporter of the vice president. So I've spoken to her a number of times about the vice president's role in abortion and the vice president's role in the 2024 election. And so she's been a really reliable supporter of the vice president. Now, there's been a lot of chatter uh, on social media since uh, Newsom appointed her about Butler being a Maryland resident. Can you two give us a reality check on that? LaFonza Butler is a longtime California resident, but for the last couple of years, um, since she has since she was named president of Emily's List, which is based in Maryland, uh, she moved to Maryland. She and Newsom have received some criticism um, in the time since her appointment was announced, but it doesn't seem like that's going to be a real stumbling block for her. The requirements in the U.S. Constitution for residency for senators is really just that when they are elected, or in this case, when they are sworn in, that they be residents of the state they're representing. And so she still owns a home in California. And the governor's office says that she, you know, is going to re-register to vote in California. And let's be clear, she lived in California for 11 of the last 13 years and moved only in the last two years for this job. So I think it is a fair point, but it also like there is some important context there that she is not just somebody from it's not a Dr. Oz situation, shall we say. <laughs> good, good analogy there. Very excellent analogy. Let's back up a minute to how we got here. Uh, in, in 2021, uh, Newsom made a promise to replace uh, the late Senator Feinstein with a black woman. How has this promise uh, complicated this decision for Newsom over the last, you know, we've been talking about this for months and months and months now. Shira, how, how has this complicated the, the politics here for Newsom? Oh, this decision has just been the worst political football that Governor Newsom never wanted to deal with. He, but he, he inflated that football, we should say. Yeah, he did. He made maybe not such a great decision, but he was trying to assuage some people who were very upset after the appointing of Senator Alex Padilla. But basically, he's been in an awkward situation. People have been calling on Senator Feinstein to retire even prior to her death um, since earlier this year in particular. And every time they would bring it up, they'd say, "Okay, you should appoint Representative Barbara Lee, who is running to replace Senator Feinstein, although now she'd be running to replace Senator-designate Butler. And 
when Vice President Harris left the Senate, that meant that the Senate had no longer had a Black female senator. Um, LaFonza Butler will actually be only the third Black female senator in the Senate's entire history. And so because of that, Gavin Newsom got some backlash about appointing then-California Secretary of State Alex Padilla to replace her. And so when Feinstein announced that she would retire, this just made everything way more complicated. And so it meant that kind of every time Governor Newsom talked about this issue, somebody was upset in some way or another. So a lot of black women in California were approached about taking this gig, but turned it down. And and uh, I like what Shirley Weber, a California secretary of state, said. She said, I never take anything in which I don't think I can make a difference. And being senator for a year, I probably couldn't accomplish an awful lot. I do know that all the African-American women in the state would love to have an African-American senator, not just for a year, but for a full term. Lee said she was insulted when Newsom described his choice a few weeks ago as a, quote, interim pick. And so were a lot of other black women that we've all spoken with about this. Uh, they didn't want this to be a placeholder gig. It, why was this considered insulting? I will note that you mentioned that there were a number of black women in California politics who um, were approached about this job, not necessarily by Newsom. Um, I don't think we're aware that Newsom approached anyone else about this job. And he certainly has said that Butler was his top choice for this um, position. But the idea that Newsom had made this commitment to appoint a black woman to the job and then said that the position would only or the appointment would only be an interim appointment really suggested that the person who would be in the job would only be there for a year and would really undermine that person's power. And so I think that um, a lot of supporters of Barbara Lee, who is the only Black female candidate who is among the leading candidates in the race to replace Feinstein, which has already been well underway for many months. You know, it was really seen as anyone that he appointed would be undermining her candidacy. And that if he didn't appoint her to the job, um, then he wouldn't really be fulfilling his role of replacing Diane Feinstein with a Black woman because the person who would be in that job would only be in there for a very short period of time. Um, as we're taping this, we have not yet heard if LaFonza Butler plans to run for the seat um, after this interim appointment is up. But I'll be asking her sometime today. You can sure bet. Absolutely. But Newsom has said that he didn't put any preconditions on the appointment, that he didn't tell Butler that she couldn't or shouldn't run for the job um, when this current appointment is up. I got to I, I got to interject here, but the, I do not think that she is going to run. I mean, the, the uh, people will start voting in, in little over four months. LaFonza Butler may have uh, all kinds of connections to labor and, and, and democratic politics. And, and but, you know, you've got to ramp up a, a statewide infrastructure that quickly and, and start fundraising in the most expensive state in the in to, to campaign in the country no but not. joe let me let me push back on that because as presidents of emily's list her entire job for the last two years has been electing democratic women across the country yeah she you saying oh she has all these connections no she has every connection when it comes to democratic politics yes i know the timeline is short but she would have the added name recognition. And also, she's so young. She's only 44 years old. And so if she ran 
she could be in that seat for quite a long time, which is what I think a lot of folks wanted, why they were pushing for Barbara Lee to be the appointee, is that they wanted to see a black woman in the seat. Yes, Barbara Lee is older, but right now the oldest senator is 90 years old, and Dianne Feinstein died in office while 90 years old. So I think... Like, every time we talk about these sorts of issues, I, I always say, like, don't count anyone out. I think it, I think I could see her doing it. I'm really curious to hear what she has to say. Um, I'm guessing it'll be some sort of a dodge. Although, in the past, when she and I have spoken, she's been pretty forthright. But things change when you become a senator. I, I, I agree. She is the ideal candidate for, for Democrats. Ideal. It's, I'm, my question is, is the time timeline but we will we will see i i await the answer to your question or the dodge whatever it will be tomorrow i think go ahead Sophia. i think it's also worth pointing out that um if she were to run for re-election in addition to the possible you know political connections and financial advantage that having been president of emily's list would give her um she also would have the ballot designation of being the incumbent senator and that's not nothing when you're talking about voters that's across a, yeah. um, a huge state. Um, it's very hard to campaign here, even for the candidates that, you know, have been campaigning for months. It's very hard to get name recognition. And I think for a lot of, of voters, it means a lot um, that someone is the incumbent. So that is something that I think we should absolutely not discount in this conversation as well. I mean, the thing I'm thinking of is I didn't cover this race, but when Senator Alex Padilla was running for his first actual election to the seat after he was appointed, I mean, he didn't have a lot of name recognition when he was appointed either within the state. So the platform of being called senator does do a lot. It does. But in that case, he wasn't running against any kind of name competition. With all due respect to Absolutely. his Republican, <laughs> Republican <laughs> opponent, it's like the Washington generals playing the, the Harlem Globetrotters there. We will continue our conversation about LaFonza Butler after this short break. Now, back to my conversation with Chronicle reporters Shira Stein and Sophia Bolag about California's new senator, LaFonza Butler. Okay, Butler is now a senator. Who does this help of the candidates running for the uh, full-time seat? And who does this hurt? Shira? Uh, I think it remains to be seen. Um, I think if she decides not to run, maybe we could see her putting her support behind someone, maybe possibly Barbara Lee. That if campaign she run, is counting on it, by the way. Yeah, no, it does. But if she does decide to run, then that could split some of the people who are going to vote for Barbara Lee. Could this potentially leave an opening for a Republican candidate to make it to the top two of the primary? I think the next four months are going to be critical for this campaign. The issue is not the general election for the Senate race. The issue is the primary right now. Yeah, I think as um, as Shira mentioned, this, especially if she gets in the race, this potentially really helps Republicans. Um, just to remind our listeners, California has a so-called jungle primary system. It's a top two election in the primary. So the top two vote getters, regardless of party, advance to the general. That means, um, as we've seen before, that we could have a Democrat on Democrat race. And so right now there are three Democrats that we've we've been talking about who are the front runners in this race on the Democratic side. 
Barbara Lee, uh, Katie Porter, and Adam Schiff, all representatives from California. And if you add someone else to that side of the ballot, essentially that just helps ensure that a Republican makes it into the top two. And so I think that's really um, the most sort of obvious place um, if LaFonce Butler gets into this race Essentially, she would just divide the Democrats further. And so you're more likely to see a Republican on Democrat race. Just as an aside, Lee's campaign feels that it'll take about 1.5 to 2 million votes to get into the top two, which is about 25 percent could is is a conservative estimate to get in. The other thing to think about is Democrats are tend to be a more organized party than Republicans. And if it gets to the point where it's looking like having four Democrats running for Senate could lead to an opening for a Republican. I could see the state party getting involved and saying one or two of you can't keep doing this or else we're all going to lose. So I think Democrats tend to be a little bit more strategic about those sorts of things. And do we know enough about Butler's positions? Are are they any different from Porter or Schiff or Lee? Or is she in the same ballpark? I mean, since she's never held elective office, we don't know. But I mean, she's been a a major advocate for labor and, you know, abortion rights. Do we know that she stray from uh, those two in any major way? I think those are the main two things she's she's worked on. I mean, I was reading a bunch of her writings and listening to previous interviews she's done. And I the sense that I got from her was very Barbara Lee progressive type of person. Um, but yeah, we don't really know her policy positions outside of abortion, voting rights and um, labor issues. So I think it'll be really interesting to see. I mean, I know Joe and I were talking about we really want to know what she thinks about water rights, um, since that's yes, such a huge yep. issue in California. Yes. So I <laughs> yes. think it'll be really interesting to sort of have a senator who we don't know that much about their policy positions. Sophia, walk us through the logistics of this. When will Butler's term start and when will it end and how do all the myriad election changes work? So her term will start as soon as she is sworn in, and it will last until the people of California elect someone to finish out the remainder of Dianne Feinstein's term. That term will end, I believe it's January 3rd, 2025. Um, And so essentially, LaFonza Butler will almost certainly be serving in the Senate from about now until uh, the November election. And that's because the special election for California voters to choose someone to fill out the remainder of the current term is going to happen at the same time as the regular election to choose someone for the following term. This is pretty confusing, but it essentially means that California voters are going to have two Senate races on both their primary and general ballots. So if you're a California voter, when you get your ballot, your primary ballot in the mail um, for the March primary election, you're going to see two Senate races. One is for what will probably be about a month of service in the Senate to fill out the remainder of the current term. Um, And then the other will be for the following six-year term that will start at the beginning of 2025. Another additional element that might be confusing that we've we've talked about is we don't know if LaFonza Butler is going to run 
for election in those races. So we're not quite sure how it's going to work out. But in theory, we could see three different people serving in this role in the next couple of years. You know, LaFonza Butler serving out this special appointment from Newsom, someone serving in the last month or so of the current term if someone else is elected to the seat. And then in theory, California voters could elect an additional potentially third person um, to serve in the the following six-year term. So, And this was a similar situation to what happened with now Senator Alex Padilla. But in that case, he was the only one running really in all of these races. Now we have all sorts. It's a it's a clown car of people running effectively. No, no, no. Uh, that's no disrespect to the to the clowns actually running. So, yeah, yeah. No, no disrespect. You all know I respect you. But it it's just there are so going to be so many names on that ballot and so many races. I, I can't see how any California voter is not just slightly confused when they get their ballot in March and then again, November. But we will we will explain that in a future podcast. Yes. The San Francisco politics team has always got you, even when we don't fully understand things ourselves. We'll figure it out and tell you. <laughs> okay, we'll have to cut things off there. Shira Stein from Washington, Sophia Bolag from Sacramento. Thank you both for being here. I would like to thank you all for listening and hope that you and your family are safe and healthy. I'd like to thank Shira Stein and Sophia Bolag for joining me today. Thanks to Cecilia Lay for producing and editing this episode. And props to Keith Menconi for the mix. And remember, no matter if you were elected to the Senate or you were appointed, it's all political on Fifth and Mission.